All right, Merry Christmas. Glad you are here. Now, I noticed a moment ago, you got a s'mores, right? Now, are you family or friends? Your friends? Family? All right. So I've got one for each of you. But i got to make a deal with you. Next weekend when you come, you got to go to the children's ministry. Huh? It's designed just for you. They, have you seen it? Have you seen the decorations over there in the children's ministry? It is incredible. So I'll give you this chocolate s'mores if you'll make that commitment to me, will you? All right, there you go. Give them a hand. How about you, sir? You good for it? All right, there you go. All right. All right, it is Christmas time. That is exciting, and one of the reasons that it is is it provides a big opportunity to impact and make uh, just a huge, huge difference in the lives of people. And we've been working on that. We have taken, you know, the hurricane season has been more like 2003, 2004, and it's impacted several of the islands in the Caribbean, of course, the Keys, even us uh, here in southern Florida. And we've had several teams go to Cuba, go to Puerto Rico, and then go to um, the Keys. One of our teams just got back from Cuba, and I wanted you to see some of the need and then some of the impact that if you're a part of this um, incredible family called Potential, some of the impact that you've had. So um, let's watch this, all right? The hurricane began a lot sooner than what we had expected. At 6 p.m., strong winds began, and at 2 in the morning, a government car with a loudspeaker wandered the streets announcing that the eye was going to hit us directly. We heard debris flying through the streets, saw our roofs literally fly away and trees be uprooted from the ground. We even documented an entire building collapse in front of us during the storm. It was unbelievable. No doubt one of the hardest parts were the days following the storm. We were without power for weeks and with no water for 16 days. These were difficult times as we couldn't communicate and had no information on the well-being of our brothers and sisters on the island. got here they're questioning the motives or questioning what we're bringing and uh, it appears as the government does not want um, any outside help it's evident that they're the government is trying to oppress the people for the people not to have anything and therefore um, they're making it difficult or almost impossible to bring things into this country to help the needy planned well, we got everything together, we had everything we needed, and we were able to, to go with 22 bags full of like 50 to 60 pounds of, of supplies through those doors, which we uh, distributed this week. We've made like personal care packages. I believe it's 
several hundred people we were able to bless with, with the, the stuff that we brought. It's like a toothbrush, toothpaste, um, toilet paper, soap, bars of soap, um, stuff that they just, they don't have anything. I mean, it was just, you know, amazing that we could do that. And that was the point of going through the struggle of getting through customs so that we could bring um, some joy from the oppressed that are here. This morning I prayed to the Lord. And the Lord answered my prayer. Yo le when we showed up, she was really happy to see us and she cried and thanked us. And so that, that stands out a lot to me, um, as well as being with the kids in Sagua, just seeing, they were just so excited it was like Christmas for them, and it was just really nice to see so much happiness and celebration for just a short amount of time in that town. We think it's just a teddy bear, but every mom or um, the women in the ministry here in Cuba said that, that that's like uncommon, like people, the kids here don't have stuffed animals. They don't have anything as simple as a teddy bear. So us coming with that was um, a big deal. I think it was meant for the kids to have these bears because it, it shows a fight, and then it shows relief and hope, and the kids were so happy. I, I honestly wish we could bring more bears. I mean, we've been changing lives here. We've been putting smiles on people's faces. We've been um, providing them with financial relief that they couldn't do for themselves. One thing that I see is that there are a lot of people here who have lost hope. There is no hope. And the sad thing is a lot of people are standing around waiting for the government to help them, but the government isn't coming to help them. So who's gonna come help them? All right. So it's exciting some of those teddy bears that you guys have made possible were actually delivered there and of course we continue to deliver those in places. I, I wanted to real quick before we get into the teaching read a scripture. It's found in James chapter 1. Of course James is the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. Here's what he says. It's up on the screen. True spirituality that is pure in the eyes of our Father God is to make a difference in the lives of orphans and widows. And those two groups of people were the most vulnerable groups of people in the time in which this was written. I mean, without the help of someone else, they just would not survive. And James says that's what real spirituality is, making a difference in the lives of orphans and widows in their troubles, getting our hands dirty, and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. What is the world's values? Selfishness, right? Is that I'll take care of others after I take care of myself. And so I just applaud uh, you guys, this family. I'm so proud to be a part of Potential Church. I'm so thankful for those of you who have continued to go on those trips. And as we go into the holidays, you think about how can we continue to make a difference? One of the things is a tradition that we've had. Let's see, we started it in this building here. 
uh, uh, several years ago, and that is to ask you to flip us a bird. Not the kind that you normally receive on the freeway, the kind that you eat, okay? And because there are hungry people, and we want to feed them. And we partner with different organizations. For example, we partner with, in Miami, uh, there's a, 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 a ministry that feeds people um, that are homeless. And we provide them with uh, turkeys and hams and pies, which is what we're asking you to bring today. And then there is, uh, this year, we're partnering with a Haitian church that is providing a meal even this afternoon um, for their community. And then we partner with Miami-Dade Rescue Mission, and they use those turkeys and hams, depending on how many there are, throughout the year. And, and so I want to ask, I want to beg, I want to invite, as Amber did early, is for you, it's just today, we just do it this one day, is to get a turkey, a ham, a pie, or 10 turkeys, all right? Whatever it is that God nudges your heart to do. You can go across the street to Publix. We've actually partnered with them. So there are checkout lines that are just for potential church to buy turkeys. You can drop it off over there or you can bring it back here. You can go online and get the turkey. Or we have vouchers in the, in the lobby. I, I think I don't know how much a turkey is out there. $15 maybe, something like that. But you can get a pie if that this season turkey's too much or you can partner with somebody and purchase a ham or you maybe are in a place where you can purchase 15 turkeys I, I don't know but I can promise you this that today they're all loaded up in those refrigerated trucks and they are all taken to those places and they feed hungry people they give and they do more than that because it's not you know what I mean it's not a ration it's a turkey it, it's a ham. It's a pie. Not only does it feed them, it gives them hope. It gives them the courage to believe there are a group of people that actually care about whether or not they succeed or they fail. And so I, I uh, just encourage you, okay? It might take whatever amount of time. We've made it a million different ways. You know, go to Walmart. You don't have to go to go wherever. It's great to be out in public when somebody asking you, hey, what are you doing? I'm helping to feed hungry people. Uh, why don't you join me? You know, maybe you can get somebody at Walmart to help you buy a turkey or something. But it really is a unique opportunity, and it is um, this weekend is, is the only time that we, we do that. Now, the other thing is every Christmas... We do something to reach out into our community. We've done a ton of different things over the years to be the hands and feet of Christ. We've had toy stores here. Everything we've done, though, we've always been specific that the parent is the hero. Potential Church never wants to be the hero for somebody else's children. We always want that parent to be the hero. We want the children to believe in the parents. And, and so we've done it a million different ways. This year as we prayed, you know, God, how, what do we need to be about this Christmas? And um, the thing that God really put upon the heart of many of us was to continue and what God's called us to do, which is um, to partner with the island of Cuba, with the island of Puerto Rico, and uh, with the Keys. Uh, I can't think of a better time, because at Christmas and the holidays, people tend to think about um, you know, th their own families, their own communities, and um, we want to love on those children, we want to love on those communities. Puerto Rico, of course, does not <clears throat> have as much poverty as Cuba, although they have quite a bit. But Maria was actually created um, 
more damage there than even Irma did in Cuba as far as island-wide. Um, so there's just a tremendous, tremendous need. So all the toys that you bring over the next few weeks, we're going to collect out there. There's a list. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, not that. That's a picture of a beautiful couple. All right. But um, this thing right here, you can open up. And on the inside, it has all the stuff that's going on during Christmas, okay? All the really cool things. And it tells you, it gives a list of, of things to bring other than toys. You know, take your kids, get some toys, get a game, get those kind of things and bring them. But there are also other items that are needed, especially in Cuba, well, in all three places. We're going to wrap those items, and then here's what we're going to do. We're going to take mission trips to all three places before Christmas, the dates are there in the program. Would love for you to go. If you'd like to say, you know, this Christmas we're going to do something really different and we're going to go on a trip to Cuba or we're going to go with you to, uh, to Puerto Rico or maybe just down south to the Keys and help other folks celebrate Christmas to deliver some of those items. Maybe you just want to help us wrap them. We'll have a big wrapping party here to wrap those things. However you want to get involved, bring the toys, bring the items, go with us on the trip. It's going to be a tremendous Christmas where, and again, I'm proud to be a part of a church that loves on people that it doesn't know in places that many of us will never go, simply because Jesus told us that's what real spirituality is. Um, these are three groups of people who really need help. And uh, we can't do it all. But just because we can't do it all doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. And uh, we are really looking forward to making a difference this Christmas. And, of course, we'll continue to take trips into the new year. Last thing that I wanted to share with you is something that we started in that building over there before we had any other campuses. And it is this blue envelope right here. And it is encouraging people to give their greatest gift to Christ. Not to Walgreens, Walmart, Target, Apple, Best Buy, wherever it is, Amazon that you shop. Every year I've stood up here and I challenge people to give your greatest gift to Christ so that we can continue to do the things that over the next several weeks you're going to watch on that screen. When we go on a mission trip like that, it, um, it always takes resources. People pay for their own trip, but the things that we give away, I mean, when, when you lose everything, so many times, what's the greatest need? It's resources. It's a way in which to rebuild. You've helped people in Cuba and Puerto Rico and in the Keys do that. Those things all take resources to reach people next weekend. Because over the next several weeks, we just share stories with you about the impact you're making, the difference. Um, you're going to hear the story of a young man whose life was changed, whose marriage has been reconciled in, in Pensacola. We have a campus They're right now on the other side of that camera. Pensacola would not be there if it were not for the generosity of the people at Cooper City. That young man's life, therefore his kids, is changed because of something like Greatest Gift. And Greatest Gift is really important this year because we had two weekends that have been impacted by the storms. One weekend we didn't have church at all. That's a zero. That has a big impact on um, resources. And then we had another storm where it was about 50%. Now, we continued to go to Cuba and Puerto Rico. We're continuing to reach out in faith, believing that we will be a generous church this year. And so I just invite and I ask to really pray. you got to do what God wants you to do. But above your regular giving, to really pray this year about your greatest gift.
It will make a huge difference in the lives of what I've talked about going into January. But God also says he'll bless you. So um, give that some thought. We start today, and it runs through the end of the year. And then we'll share with you what God does um, as, as a result in, when we get into January. All right, if you'll pull out that outline that you got, there's always a lot this first weekend of Christmas kickoff because we want you to kind of know at least some of the cool things that are happening. But if you'll turn with me, uh, or not turn with me, that sounds very churchy, doesn't it? Um, if you open up your outline, I want to give you a few thoughts about Route 66. This car goes with Route 66. I don't, I don't know. I've never been on the road, but I, it's a nostalgic kind of idea in my mind. It began, it opened up in November in 1926, 27, I think. It's 2,500 miles long. Did you know that on Route 66, the corn dog was invented? How many of you like corn dogs? <laughs> Come on right? It, not only that, on Route 66, the first McDonald's was opened up. I actually have a picture of it somewhere. Yeah, that's a 15 cents for a hamburger, right? McDonald's is that place everybody complains about and then goes and eats at, you know, right? Because the French fries, I mean, you eat French fries, they stay with you for a year or so. So not only do they have the first uh, McDonald's on Route 66, or the Mother Road, as it is often uh, called. But I've got some other pictures here. Let me show you the next one. This is the Wigwam Hotel. Okay, it's these giant teepees that was uh, begun in the 1950s and have become quite famous. Then there, are, I think, the next one is Cadillac Ranch. Yeah, this is in Texas, of course, and these Cadillacs are stuck in the ground, and people stop, and they were paint messages on it and that kind of thing. And then I have the world's largest totem pole is on Route 66, all right? The Lord, and then how many of you would like to see the second world's, the world's second largest rocking chair? How many of you can get pumped up about that, right? I mean, you could retire. Here's a picture of it. Wow. And it says world's largest, and it was at one time, but it is no longer. It's the second largest. Now, can you imagine going on a 2,500-mile road trip with the family? Right? Now, in our minds, we think of red Mustangs. We think of all those, you know, rock and roll songs of the 1950s. But let me show you a few of the folks who went on that journey, all right? Here's one of the cars. Now, if you look at that car, can you take me out of the picture? Just put the picture up there. If you, if you look at that picture, that car doesn't have air conditioning. Can you imagine going on a 2,500-mile road trip with the kids without air conditioning? This is what you'd look like. Here's the next picture, all right? Now, if you look at this picture, can you tell who the teenager is? Right? Over there with their arms crossed. Oh, my gosh, Dad. Why do we have... How many of you have ever taken a road trip with a pitcher? I mean, with a teenager. Excuse me. Yeah, you know what... Well, not that pitcher, but the other pitcher looks like. Now, and this... Well, go back. On this picture, you can see the kids look pretty happy. But I think it's only because the dad has threatened their life. 
right? We're about to take a picture and you kids better smile or you know what's going to happen, right? See, in our mind, we have this nostalgic view of road trips. It's just not reality, right? You think about Route 66 and the colors and the neon and the mom and pop shops and corn dogs and McDonald's and the world's tallest totem pole, all those kind of things. But in reality, well, I don't like to drive. I'm not good at driving. But we took a road trip several years ago when the kids were young from here to Charlotte. I, I don't know, what is that, 14 hours, something like that. And the kids decided, well, the dog, we had some puppies. They had to go. They had two puppies. They had to go. The only problem is we just got a few hours down the road and realized our puppies get car sick. You know, we still had like 12, 14 hours to go. The puppies kept you know, every so often, and, and, and then, you know, we got about six hours into the trip, and guess what? One of our three children got the flu, and if you've ever had young children, you realize one of your children alone never gets the flu. By the time we got to Charlotte, North Carolina, all three kids had the flu, and so we would pull over, and occasionally we would pull over before what was in their stomach would be expelled out. The majority of the time, it was expelled inside the, mini, the minivan. We got a few hours from Charlotte and then our air conditioning went out. That, that's the way road trips really are, right? You have your story. You've been on vacation. In, in other words, in your mind, remember what you thought vacation was going to be like? Remember? Oh. And then you went and they lost your luggage and your hotel room wasn't ready. In, in other words, it, it, there's a difference between nostalgia and reality. And the same thing is true, I think, when it comes to Christmas. We often think of Christmas in a nostalgic type of way, right? The Coca-Cola ads, right? I've got one here, Santa Claus. He's got cookies and he's got, you know, the red suit. And you ever noticed Hallmark Christmas movies? Anybody watch them? The trees, they all look so beautiful. The lights, they're all so straight. And then you decorate your tree, and you feel like what? A loser. Because you're like, my, I mean, they made it look so easy. And all the movies are the same, right? They find somebody. I, I, I was watching one with Steph the other night where these two people meet in the airport. Now, I've never met anyone other than an idiot in an airport, okay? But these two people meet, he spills his coffee on her, and, and, and it begins this, this relationship, and then, you know, they have a little bit of trouble. But in the end, it always works out. That's not reality, right? I mean, the reality is so different. I, I, they tend to sell us Christmas, not in the present, but in the past, the only problem is it's a past you never had. When you nostalgically think about Christmas, remember what you were doing at the Christmas you nostalgically remember? You were thinking about the Christmas before that. They're always pushing us further and further back. When in reality, here's what Christmas is about. Christmas is all about the future. And that's really where I want us to begin this series. The definition of nostalgia, I put in your outline, is the wistful desire to return in thought or in fact to a former time in one's life, one's home, or one's homeland, or to one's family and friends. A sentimental yearning for the happiness 
of a former place or time. The only problem is the happiness wasn't real. And so when we compare today's Christmas to yesterday's nostalgia, it always comes up short. We always feel just a little bit disappointed. But Christmas is not about the past, it's about the future. When you go back into the past and you look at the prophecies found 700 years <coughs> excuse me, before the birth of Christ, they're all pointing to the future. They're not talking about the past. They're not even talking about the present. Instead, they're talking about the future. So I want us to spend just a few moments, as quickly as we can, looking at the future of Christmas. I wrote in my notes, Christmas is about the future, the incredible plan that God has for you in the future. And Christmas is to push us into that future. Christmas is to remind us that there is a path into that future. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture I bet you have never studied in the context of Christmas. I would dare say that probably 90% of us have never even read a verse in the book of Lamentations. It means to lament. Now you've probably lamented about Christmas, but maybe you've never read what it has to say. Now, in order to understand, we got to get a little bit of context. Jeremiah, most scholars believe, wrote the book of Lamentations. And here's what was going on. There was a Babylonian ruler by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe you've heard of him before. He decided that he was going to conquer God's people. He was going to conquer Jerusalem. He goes into Judea. And when he does, all of the people in the rural area as farmers, they had no protection. So what do you think they did? They ran to the city. Why did they go to the city? The city had walls. And they believed that Jerusalem would never be overtaken. I mean, after all, it's where the temple was. It's where God was. God would never allow that to happen. So you have all of these people who now find themselves in Jerusalem. The only problem is, is Jerusalem wasn't built for that many people. And so they start to run short on food. And they start to, to run short on water. And then the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar's army, shows up and they surround the, the walls of the city of Jerusalem. They begin a siege that lasts for 30 months. And in the book of Lamentations, we read what was going on in the city of Jerusalem. And it was bad. Really, really bad. Let me just read a little bit. It's not in your outline, but it is up on the screen. <clears throat> in Lamentations chapter 4. It says, how the gold has lost its luster. In other words, gold's not worth anything. Why? Because, well, you can't buy anything with it. There, nobody has. It says, even the finest gold has become dull. The sacred gemstones lie scattered in the streets. See how the precious children of Jerusalem worth their weight in fine gold are now treated like pots of clay made by a common potter. If you want to know what's going on in a culture or society, all you have to do is look at the way in which they treat their children. The parched tongues of the little ones stick to the roofs of their mouths. In other words, they were dehydrated. The children cry for bread, but no one has any to give them. The people who once ate the richest foods now beg in the streets for anything they can get. Those who once wore the finest clothes now search in the garbage dump for food. And then it gets worse. It says those killed by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. Starving, they waste away for lack of food from the fields. 
Tender-hearted women have cooked their own children. They have eaten them to survive the siege. That's a historical fact. That's how bad it was in the city of Jerusalem. Now, I would doubt that any of us have experienced a past with that much pain. But there is no doubt that many of us have a past that's painful. And whether it was something that happened to us or a decision that we made, we can identify with, with hurting in the past. And when Christmas tries to pull us into the past, really what it does is it <clears throat> creates a lot of pain. I, I wrote it like this. Maybe you feel the same way they did. Maybe you feel that way about your present, painful, difficult, because of something that happened in your past. Listen to Lamentations chapter 3, and maybe you can identify. The thought of my suffering and my homelessness is bitter beyond words. This is Jeremiah writing after the siege, and after they had taken Maybe you have heard of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. They had taken those in um, as Babylonian captives. And Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem. And he says, <clears throat> it's just bitter beyond words. And maybe there's something in your past that every time you think of it, it just kind of makes you sick to your stomach. It's just a decision that you made that you wished you wouldn't have made. Something someone has done to you that just isn't right or fair. He says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Maybe your loss was a relationship. Maybe somebody you love. Maybe a dream. Maybe your finances. Maybe hope. Maybe peace. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. But then look at verse 21. In the midst of all of this pain and all of this hurt, he says, yet I still dare to, what's the next word? Hope. And what kind of word is hope? It's a future word, isn't it? You don't hope for your past. You hope for what? Your future. Hope pushes you into the future. I put it like this, hope pushes us from the pain of the past into the hope of the future. And he says, all of this has happened, and it makes me sick to my stomach. And I don't think I'll ever be able to forget it yet. Even in the midst of all of this happening in my past, I dare to hope when I, when I remember in other words, we remember the past in order to believe the future. There are some things about the past that actually help push us into the future. And it's what's found in these very next three verses. This is where we see Christmas. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies, they never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I have hope in him. So let's look at those three verses and see how they remind us of the reality of the future and what Christmas has to do with it. Here, here's the first thing to jot down, is that my future didn't end in the past. Your future didn't end in the past. The faithful, remember what it said in verse 22, the faithful, what is the faithful? It's always there. Something that's faithful never ends. That's what it says. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. So in my mind as I read that, because I'm always asking, okay, what does that mean? 
I thought about life as a line. And according to dictionary.com, this is what a line is. A narrow, continuous mark. In other words, it doesn't end. Life <clears throat> begins and it continues. Now, what happens is somewhere in life, it may be at the beginning, the middle, but there is an event. And when this event happens, we tend to believe that that's where it ends. In other words, a relationship and something happens. There's some kind of an event and it ends. Our hope ends. Our joy ends. Our peace ends. Our dreams end because of what happened to us or a decision that we made or whatever that event is. Therefore, there is no future. And we are what? Hopeless. We tend to think that way because, for example... I used to love to play basketball, high school, college, out of college, but my basketball playing has ended because of an event, my 50th birthday, all right? It reminded me of when I was a senior in high school and we were playing in the finals of an important holiday tournament over the Christmas holidays. And, and for whatever reason, we were up by quite a few points. I don't remember what it was, but we were winning pretty easy and, and it had been a good tournament. And I was at half court and somebody stole the ball and they threw it to me. And I, I remember thinking, okay, it's, it's time to show out a little bit. And so I, I started focusing on how and what kind of dunk I was going to do on the other end. And, and I'm really dribbling and I'm kind of focusing on that. And then all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, I see the local news camera crew. And they're over there video and I thought to myself, I need to slow down. And so I slowed down and instead of focusing on the rim, now I'm kind of like, hey, you know what I'm saying. Now, I thought to myself, as I go up to do this, I, I want to I be cool. I'm going to pretend like I'm not, it doesn't even take any effort. Just, just, just easy to do. The only problem is, is when I pretend like I'm not trying to jump, <laughs> I don't jump very high. And so I didn't get up as high as I needed to. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know how you think really quick in those kind of situations. What am I going to do? And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to grab the rim. And it was one of those breakaway rims. It'll make a lot of noise and that'll have to do. And so I went up there, and I let go of the ball, grabbed the rim. The only problem is when I let go of the ball, it sat right on top of the rim. And so when the rim popped back up, it threw the ball all the way up to the ceiling, and it got stuck. <clears throat> and so the game had to end. And uh, not end, but end until they could run into the office or wherever they went to get another basketball. Well, coach immediately pulled me out of the game. I can't imagine why, but he did, and, and he chewed me out, but there was a whole nother quarter to go, and he never put me back in the game, and he would just kind of look down at me, and he'd shake his head. See, I, what I didn't know, after the game, he told me, he said, Troy, <clears throat> he said, you were two points within uh, breaking the, the scoring record for that, for that tournament. And then you did something stupid like that, and when you did, it ended your future opportunity to break that record. So my name is not in that record, um, in that record book. And so many times we look at life like that. We look back and we have this sense of regret because of something that's happened in our past. What I want to encourage you in is Christmas 
is the reason and the reminder that your future did not end in your past. Look, Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. But the angel reassured them saying, don't be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news of the most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it is for everyone, everywhere. Good news, great joy for all people is what some translations say. What is this good news that's going to bring great joy for all people? For today in Bethlehem, a what? Rescuer, a savior. Rescue you and I from what? Our past. Our, our pain, our hurt, our loss. When you get pulled into the past, whatever that pain is, whatever that sense of loss is, whatever that regret, whatever that, Jesus says, Christmas is here. Why? Why did Jesus come? He came to rescue me from my past and to give me a future. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer, a savior was born for you. He's the Lord, Yahweh, Messiah. You will recognize him by this miracle sign, you'll find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying. This is not quite as romantic as the King James, but in a feeding trough. Jesus didn't come that first Christmas to remind you and me of our past. But we often think that. That's why it's hard to come to church. Right? Some folks struggle to come to church. Why? Because they're afraid that when they come, that we're going to get a finger pointed and somebody's going to say, you remember your past? Remember what you did last night, last year, last week? You remember the bad decision you made? You, you remember the hurt? And, and, and as a result, it's like, man, I don't need that. I, 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 I know about my past. That's not what Christmas is about. We've misunderstood it. In John chapter 3, verse 16, which is a verse some have heard, for this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift In other words, it's not something that's pushed upon anybody. It's something we must be willing to receive. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but have ever, but experience everlasting life. You know verse 16 maybe, but do you know verse 17? God did not, did not send his son. When did his son come into the world? Christmas. So what is he saying? Christmas is not... It's not about sending his son into the world to, what's the next word? To judge. Christmas is not about judging, and it's not about condemning the world. But to be its savior, to do what? To rescue from what? Our past. That's why we get so excited about Christmas. Because it's about more than the tree and the lights and the bell. It's about more than Santa. It's even about more than a manger. It's about the fact that Jesus came to rescue me from the hurt and the pain and the sense of loss in my past. My future did not end in the past. Here's the second thing. It's that my future success is promised in the future. Not only did you lose it in the past, you were promised it in the future. Let's look at the verse. Lamentations. Jeremiah declares in the midst of all of this pain and all of this loss that he has seen, he still says in verse 23, great. What does the word great mean? All encompassing is what? His God's faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Again, each morning, what is that? That's a push into the future. 
God's all-encompassing faithful. In other words, what God says he will do. He's faithful. All-encompassing faithful. We see it again in the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 1. And she will have a son, talking about Mary. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will what? Rescue, save. Save his people from what? Their sins. What is sin? It's a picture word that means we have missed, past tense, missed the bullseye of perfection. So in Matthew, what does the angel say? You're going to name him Jesus. Why? Because he was born to rescue you from your past, from your screw-ups, from your bad decisions, from the enemy's even attack and wrongful hurt and pain of us. That's, that's what he says. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. And then he gives us the prophecy um, that's found in the book of Isaiah. Now, what are some of these promises? Promises to rescue us from our past. Now, Jeremiah. Think, Jeremiah, the one that has seen all of this happen, all of these things that have taken place, he says in chapter 29 in verse 11, he says, I alone, this is God speaking, okay? Jeremiah writing down what God said. I alone know the plans I have for you. They are plans to bring you what? Not what? Disaster. See, many of us have given up on hopes. We've given up on our dream. We've given up on our purpose. We've given up on our destiny because of some event that has happened in our past. And Jesus comes on Christmas to remind us that the reason he came is to rescue us from that past because we have a promised future. And the future that is promised is one of prosperity. Now, he's not just talking about wealth here. He's talking about our destiny, our purpose, our dream. He's talking about that promised land, that sense of success of being and experiencing what God created us to be and do, that kind, of, that kind of peace. Plans to bring about, he says, the future you hope for. That's why we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Because that's what Christmas is about. He came to rescue us from our past so that we could experience the future that we hope, that we go into the future to experience. 19 years ago, during the holiday season, I was sitting in Perigold, Arkansas. Just three or four months earlier, Steph and I had moved to Little Rock along with the kids to start a church. The denomination we were working with said they would help us. <clears throat> I had a part-time job to help provide the money at a fitness club, and then I focused on starting the church. Well, I got a phone call while we we're home for the holidays. It was a leader of the denomination that said, well, Troy, we, we, mis we mistook um, the other churches. There's <clears throat> this is a hot potato is the word he used. He said, so we're just going to have to drop it. And I remember all of a sudden, all that had been promised to me was now taken away because of an event. And I, I didn't know what my future would be. Of course, it didn't end there. The, the, the church in the town of Perigold that we had started years before said that they would help us get this church started in Little Rock. Well, when the denomination decided that they weren't going to do it, the little church or the, the church in the little town called and said, well, if you're not going to start a church, then we're not going to provide. And so now I find myself in Little Rock thinking, man, what kind of future? 
Did I make a bad decision? I mean, what, 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 what's going on here? And you know what I remember being fearful of is in the future, would I see in the eyes of my wife, Stephanie, or hear in her words, I'm proud of you. Because I had failed as, as her husband. But there's Christmas. When Jesus came to rescue us from our past and to give us a future. He said it himself. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, I put in your outline, Jesus says, I have come. What, what does that mean, I have come? When did he come? Christmas. He says, I, uh, Christmas, you could say, Christmas is here to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until it overflows. Abundance. Rich and overflowing, some translations say. See, that's the future that's promised for me and for you. That's why Christmas, it's Christmas. Your past didn't end your future. And not only did it not end your future, your future success is promised. Why? Because every Christmas season you were reminded that I was not created to fail in the past. No matter what that event is, no matter how powerful that event is, no matter what decision I made, no matter how much I hurt, no matter how painful it is, is I have a future because Jesus came that verse Christmas Christmas morning. Last thing I want to share with you real quick. Therefore, <laughs> my past is powerless to rob me of my future. Your past is powerless to rob you of your future. Remember, remember what Jeremiah said? He said, I say to myself, <laughs> the Lord is my inheritance. What is inheritance? It's a push into the future. Therefore, my hope will be what? In my inheritance. In what God has promised me. And again, we see the Christmas, we see the example in Christmas. In Matthew chapter 2, remember the story? You have the wise men. They see a star. They get on their camels. They kick it into gear. They follow the star. They get to Jerusalem. The star disappears. They go to the palace. That's where the new king ought to be. That's what they're looking for. The new king that the star represents. They come in and they ask Herod, hey, where's the new, <laughs> newborn king? He's like, I didn't know there was a newborn king. See, Herod was very insecure. History tells us that Herod killed his own relatives because he was afraid they wanted to take his kingship. And so he's like freaking out. What do you mean, new king? And, and, and he goes to his religious leaders and he says, does the Bible say anything about a new king? And they answer in verse 5, he will be born in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, they told him. And then it gives you the prophecy from the book of Micah. So the wise men get back on their camels, kick it back into gear, take off. And as they do towards Bethlehem, the star shows again. They follow the star to Bethlehem. They get off their camels. They kneel down before Jesus. They give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now remember, Herod had told the wise men, he said, Now guys, when you find Jesus, tell me where he's at because I want to worship him too. I just love that little Jesus. Well, the wise men knew Herod was lying. And so the scripture says they went a different route home. But after they were gone, Joseph had a dream. Look what it says in verse 13. After they had gone, Joseph had another dream. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, get up now and flee to Egypt. Take Mary and the little child and stay there until I tell you to leave. For Herod intends to search for the child to kill him. 
So that very night they got up, they took Jesus and his mother, and they made their escape to Egypt and remained there until Herod died. Now think about this. You've got this incredibly powerfully rich king wanting to kill a powerless baby who was born to some young, without any kind of resources, young couple. You would think there's no way in the world that that baby is going to survive. And yet the king couldn't rob the future. That's the Christmas story. Because God protected uh, uh, them. Okay, and they went to Egypt. And, so, and, and I, again, I think that is a picture. I think that is a reminder that God does the same thing for us. Just as Herod couldn't kill Jesus, your past can't kill your future. It can't rob from you what God has his promise to you. You say, Troy, you don't understand what I did. And I would just say, you don't understand then who he is. Scripture says he's, right, when talking about the birth of Christ, wonderful counselor, mighty God, Emmanuel, God with us. We do have an enemy. In John 10, when Jesus said that he came to give us abundant life, but he also said that the thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, to slaughter, destroy. Yes, there is an enemy, and he wants to steal your future. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to destroy your dreams. He wants to rob from you your finances. He wants to de destroy your relationships. <laughs> but there's Christmas. That's what Christmas reminds me of every year. Is that no matter what is contained in my past, it is powerless against my future. In Titus chapter 3, there are lots of places that talk about this because the, what the enemy wants to steal more than anything is, well, your eternity. Because the line is a line of infinity. And that's what the enemy's really after at the end of the day. He's hoping that if, you, if he can steal your dreams and your purpose and your joy and your peace, that you'll give up on your eternity. But here's what Titus said. He said, for it wasn't that long ago that we behaved foolishly in our stubborn disobedience. We were easily led astray as slaves to worldly passions and pleasures. We wasted our lives in doing evil and with hateful jealousy, we hated the other. What, what, what's he saying? In the past, we missed the mark. Those are all past tense words. We missed the mark. We experienced a tragedy at the hands of an enemy. That's our past. And that's the past that still haunts many of us. It's robbed you of maybe even some of your present. But verse 4 says, when, all of that's going on, when the extraordinary compassion of God our Savior and his overpowering love suddenly appeared in person. When did that happen? Christmas. <laughs> suddenly. God put on skin and he was born in a manger as the brightness of a dawning day, a new beginning, a fresh start. 
the second chance. He came to save us, to rescue us from the pain of our past. Not because of any virtuous deed we have done. Not because we deserve it. Not because we're good. Not because we come to church. Not because we're a good husband. No. Not because of anything we have done, but only because of his extravagant mercy. He saved us, resurrecting us through the washing of rebirth. We're made completely new by the Holy Spirit, whom he splashed over us richly with Jesus, the Messiah, the life giver. So as a gift, there's that word again. God doesn't demand or push this upon anyone. It's something that must be received, gift of his love. And therefore, when we do receive this gift, we are faultless, innocent before his face. Again, not because of anything we've done, but because of his righteousness we've received. All because of an overflowing hope of eternal life. How true and faithful is that message. That's what Christmas is about. <clears throat> And as we start the Christmas season and all the Christmas stuff that has to happen in your life and in mine, I, I want to give you an opportunity to move past your past and step into your future. Give you an opportunity. You might say it's kind of like getting in the, the car. You can't go on the journey unless you're in the car. You can believe in Route 66, you can watch Route 66, you can think it would be awesome, but it's not until you surrender to the car that you can actually go on the journey. See, the gift of Christmas is not religion. It's not being good. You know, my wife gives me gifts, and I, I receive them. I receive them with my hands. This is a gift that you have to receive with your heart. That, that's the hope. The hope is Christ. The hope is Christmas. It's not religion. See, some of us have hope in religion. You believe in the future, but your hope is in the, in the, in the church. Well, I go to church. I'm a good person. Your hope is in something you're doing or in some way you're behaving. But that hope it doesn't last. That's just encouragement, inspiration. It's not that those things are bad. It's just that they're not enough. Scripture says the only place we can find hope is in the one that was born the first Christmas morning. And I want to give you an opportunity to step out of your past and into your future. And whether it's the result of a decision you made or an enemy that attacked, it's time you didn't lose any more of the present because of what happened in the past. This is your Christmas to break free. This is your Christmas to celebrate and to believe in the future in a way you haven't in a very long time. So... <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to bow your head. I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to ask you to take a step of courage. If you're here and you want to step out of your past and into your future, as soon as I say amen, even before maybe we start to sing, is to come and join me here at the front. 
And we're going to do what the scripture says to do, to move out of our past and into the future. We're just going to pray. We're going to ask him. You say, Troy, that seems pretty simple. Well, you, you must know that it cost that baby that was born in a manger his life on the de- at the death of a cro- on a cross. It's your choice. It's a gift. You can decline it or you can receive it. With your heads bowed, whether you're there in the lobby, if you're ready, I mean in the balcony, if you're ready to step out of your past and into your future, maybe you want to go ahead. We're not going to wait very long. This is a gift you want or you don't. Father, I pray for the courage to respond to this gift. I pray that our past would no longer haunt us. I pray that fear, I pray that that frustration, that hurt, that pain, that anxiety, that worry, that all of those things would be left in the past as we step into our future filled with joy and peace and hope and breakthrough and prosperity that was promised to us when you came that first Christmas. May this be the best Christmas ever. As soon as I say amen, don't wait step out even now and come. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.